All right, we're going to do a little review again this morning, as we've done in the uh, weeks past. Um, but how did you guys, how did last week go? I was not here. Uh, Mr. Joe Graff filled in for me. What did you guys learn from Mr. That he got struck by lightning? That's good. Did he do two, two, two truths and a lie? No. Oh, that, he'd been good. He would have some good ones. Um, what else did you guys learn from Mr. Graff? What did he speak on? What did he teach on? There was a lot of people gone, too. Uh, yeah, I wasn't either. Um, can someone fill me in? Like, what was, what was the passage he went to, or what was the main idea? Yeah. So he's he's actually going to be uh, taking my place for six weeks, um, teaching in here on Sunday mornings. Um, so starting in September, and he's going to be going through First Samuel with you guys, so that I can take a break, a little break, so I can, because with middle school and high school on Sunday, Wednesday night, it's going to be a lot because I'm going to be teaching twice. Okay, I'm going to be teaching both groups. So it's going to be a lot. But he, he's going to be in here on, when, on Sunday mornings with you guys, going to be able to open up to 1 Samuel and walk through 1 Samuel with you guys, which is a great book of the Bible, uh, has some great uh, stories, which will come with some great application too from those stories. Um, but yeah, uh, I really appreciate him being here last week. So we're in a series called Introduction to Apologetics, right? Uh, real quickly, what is apologetics? Yes, Matthew. Yeah, yeah, being able to give a defense for Christ and really the hope that's in us, our faith. That's great. Um, what's the passage of scripture that talk a lot about apologetics that I wanted you guys to memorize? Yes, Emma. Yes, perfect. Yes, 315. Can anyone cite, recite it? It's been two weeks. Is no one going to get candy yet? All right, hey, you got, what is it, another three weeks after this? Um, so make sure you recite it. It's this, always being prepared to make a defense, right, to anyone who asks for you for, the re for a reason, for the hope that is in you, yet do it with what? kindness, gentleness, and respect. Good. Um, awesome. So last week we defended what doctrine? We defended what doctrine? Yes. Yeah, that Christ rose from the dead, that he is alive, really, is what we were defending last time I was here. So what were the main proofs? We had three main proofs that we should go to when defending the doctrine of the resurrection of Jesus. Yes. The eyewitnesses. Yes, that's one of them. Yeah, great. Multiple eyewitnesses. Yeah, what else? There's two more. Yes, Emma. The empty tomb. The empty tomb. Yeah. I mean, how can you refute that the tomb is empty? Yes, and the last one? And the changed lives. Yes, perfect. Yeah, the empty tomb, the many, the multiple eyewitnesses, and the changed lives which we're going to see a, a common theme here in today's uh, defense. Um, but if someone was coming to you, okay, was talking with you, and you got on the subject of your faith, and that you go to church, um, and what if they said, you know, I don't believe in that. I don't believe that Jesus rose from the grave. I, I believe that he is still dead. How would you defend the resurrection of Christ which we mentioned last time, that it is 
it is our faith. I mean, it's what our faith hinges on. It's what it's really the basis of our faith is the resurrection of Christ. How would you defend that? Yeah. Yeah, you'd go to the facts of the resurrection that, yeah, there was guards in front of the tomb, which, remember, I said it's not like your Joe Schmo who's eating a donut police officer in front of it, right, who's slow as rocks. Um, no, these are, like, built guys. These are the best of the best. They're probably gladiators. Like, they're strong. They can fight. And that's who they put in front of the tomb. And there's a big rock, and it's a seal on the rock. Yeah. Uh, anyone else? How would you defend? Yeah, Abby. Exactly. Yeah. Why would, why would you die for a lie? These guys witnessed the risen Christ. So why would you die for a lie? Why would you be crucified on a cross? Why would you be hung upside down? Why would you be headed? Why would you uh, be killed by the sword, be filleted? We heard about another guy was filleted alive. Um, <laughs> like a steak. Flayed alive. Um, yeah. Why would they do this for a lie? Yeah. Awesome. All right. Today we are on a different doctrine and we are talking about the reliability of the Word of God. The reliability of the Word of God. All right, the reliability of the Word of God. What does that mean? What does the reliability of the Word of God mean? Yeah, Emma. There's no lies in it. Like, Yeah, there's no lies in it. There's no error. It's truthful. We can trust it because it's true. There's no errors. Um, so just as our faith hinges on the resurrection of Christ, right, as we talked about last week or last time, it also hinges on the word of God, okay? One, of, one, apologetics, um, one apologetic lesson says this. It says, our faith stands and falls with the Bible. Like the old song says, Jesus loves me. You guys know the song. What, what does it say? Jesus loves me. This I know. And then what? For the Bible tells me so, right? If the Bible is not trustworthy, then faith based upon the Bible is empty and absurd, this person says. If one could find genuine, unquestionable errors and or contradictions in the Bible, Christianity would come crumbling down. Hence, Christian apologetics have for centuries been defending the Bible against the attacks of critics and skeptics. Okay, so that's what we're going to be working on today is how do we defend that the Bible is true? How do we defend the reliability of the Word of God? So we could have started with this doctrine before the resurrection um, as it is through the truth of this doctrine that we, pr that is, that we pr uh, proved the resurrection of Christ, right? Because we opened up to multiple passages of Scripture to prove that Jesus was actually risen. There are other ways to prove the resurrection of Christ, but I didn't have that, the time last 
less time to get into all that. But um, anyway, back to this. What would you say the Bible says about the reliability of the Word of God? What, would, what does the Bible say about this doctrine? Does anyone have any thoughts before I give you some of the answers? Yes? That it is true. It says it many times, and we're going to go to many of those passages. So, actually, turn with me to 2 Timothy, 2 Timothy 3.16. We've turned here many times through our studies on Wednesday nights and Sunday mornings, so maybe you know this passage by heart. That's great. Um, memorizing would be, would be a good thing to do. 2 Timothy 3.16, and we're going to read through 17. 2 Timothy, yeah. 2 Timothy 3, 16 through 17. Once you guys get there, can I have someone who, who's there already read it for us? Someone volunteer to read? Yeah, Emma, if you can, nice and loud, give, give everyone maybe a couple more seconds here to get there. 2 Timothy 3, 16 through 17. And be thinking, okay? What is this passage telling me about the reliability of the Word of God? What is it telling me about the truth of the Word of God? Okay, 2 Timothy 3, 16 through 17. Emma, can you read that for us? Oh. All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete equipped, equipped for every good work. Okay, so answer the question for me. How does this passage of Scripture, you know, point to the reliability, the truthfulness of the Word of God? What would you guys say? Yeah, Landon. Because God is speaking it. And, and so, really, uh, I mean, who is God? God is, yeah, Emma? Love. God is love, yeah. There, there's one thing I'm thinking about. God is, yeah. Trustworthy. Trust, he's trustworthy. He's true. He's pr Yeah. So, God is true, and if God is true, and these are the very words of God, then it's true as well, right? Okay? So that's really the point number one there. So the Bible is the very words of God, okay? It says it all scripture, everything here in the word of God is the very words of God as it comes from the very breath of God, okay? Even though he, who's God, used human authors. And we're going to talk about this here in a second. Everything in this book is from the very breath of God, even though he used human authors to write it. So you might ask yourself, how did God use the human authors? Okay. How is it, how is this not the works of those human authors? Right. You may think that they, they wrote it physically. Why is it not their works? They wrote down what God wanted them to. Okay. We're going to get to that. Um, so turn with me to 2 Peter 1, 16 through 21. 2 Peter 1, 16 through 21. And this passage really points to the, that question, how did God use those human authors? 2 Peter 1, verses 16 through 21. It should be a few pages to your right if you were in Timothy there with us. You should pass Hebrews, and right if you pass Hebrews is, is James, um, then is First and Second Peter. He did, yeah, this morning. I know, I saw that and I was like, oh, yes, <laughs> perfect. All right, 
2 Peter 1, 16 through 21. Can someone read that for us nice and loud? Yes, Adelaide. For we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power Awesome. So have you guys ever, I used this illustration before, but um, it points perfectly to this thing. Have you ever ridden in a sailboat? Is anyone in here? Okay, maybe one, two, three, four. Okay. A sailboat that you actually can steer and all that kind of stuff with the sails. This passage kind of reminds me, okay? It reminds me of sailing, okay? So from birth till I was about nine years old, I lived in uh, North Ohio, right on the Lake Erie border um, there. And every summer, we got to go into Lake Erie uh, to sail. Uh, well, it was, it was to go to camp, but sailing was one of the incentives there in, at camp. Um, my, as my dad went and preached at camp because he was a youth pastor as well. Uh, so we tagged along, the whole family tagged along with my dad when he went and preached at those camps. Um, and it was there at the camps that we were able to experience sailing. And on Lake Erie, it's, it's great sailing lake, but for inexperienced people like myself, it's terrible because it's pretty, I mean, the waves get pretty high because it's very windy there on Lake Erie. Um, and so I had many experiences on the lake there at Lake Erie. But when you're sailing, you're able to turn the sail in multiple different directions to direct the boat. Okay, you move the sail to catch the wind to move the boat, right? But ultimately, you know, you can move the sail wherever you want to go, but ultimately the wind drives the boat, right? You don't have a motor sitting in the water that drives the boat. It's the wind that drives the boat, okay? Um, same thing here in this passage, right? Um, where am I here? Yes. Sorry, I lost my place. Yeah, in the same way the wind carries a boat along by getting caught in the sail, the Holy Spirit, as it says in this passage, carried those human authors along as they wrote the very word of God. This is why we are able to see the different writing styles, okay? From Paul, the Apostle Paul, to Peter, to John. We can see these different writing styles of these guys because it was through them, it was the Holy Spirit carrying them along like the wind carries a sailboat along on the lake. They were carried along, they were moved by the Spirit of God to write the intentions of God. So since the Bible is God-breathed, as we saw in 2 Timothy, it's infallible. There are no errors in it. It's without mistakes. The psalmist says in Psalm 19.7, the law of the Lord is perfect. There are no errors. It's perfect. The Bible is inerrant, meaning without error. It's incapable of being wrong. Solomon said this, the wisest man to ever live, said this in Proverbs 30, 5 through 6, every word of God proves true. He is a shield to those who take refuge in him. Do not add to his words, lest he rebuke you and he be found a liar. The Bible is sufficient. It is enough. It's complete. The passage we just turned to talks about this. As Paul said, or tells Timothy, he says this a little bit higher up in 2 Timothy. He says, but as for you, Timothy, continue in what you've learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it. And how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, the Bible, the scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Then it goes into the passage we read, all scripture is breathed out by God. So it is sufficient 
for salvation. As Paul says that these sacred writings that you have been acquainted with from childhood are enough to make you wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. It's also sufficient for everything else. Okay, that passage goes on and says, it's sufficient for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete equipped for every good work. Um, an apologist said this once, there is no higher authority, no greater ground of certainty than that established as the Holy Spirit enables Christians to believe and to understand and use the scriptures rightly. So this morning, I want to, with the time we have remaining, I want to give you three points, okay? Three points that you can turn to. There's so many points out there that you could turn to for the evidences in order to defend this doctrine of the reliability of the Word of God, okay? So when someone asks, how, how do you know the Bible is true, okay? This is some of the points that you go to. And if you want to hear some more points, I have a list. Like I, I wrote down maybe 15 evidences to know that the Bible is true, but we're only going to be talking about three today. Okay, so how do we know that the Bible is true? How do we know? How do we defend it? The first answer is, I think, is one of the most important ones to go to, is the prophecies made and fulfilled. Prophecies made and fulfilled. Prophecies made and fulfilled. We're going to look at a few prophecies that were made and that were fulfilled in the Word of God. Okay, so throughout the scriptures, there are many prophetic statements. Okay, the scriptures are filled with prophetic statements from, I mean, Genesis through Revelation. Even today, we heard about some prophetic statements that are to come, right? Really, the blessings that are to come for those who are sons and daughters of God. Okay. But there's prophetic statements written all throughout Scripture, either about people, about nations, or about events that will happen. And those that are fulfilled in Scripture are fulfilled exactly as they were predicted, even down to the exact degree or really the dot of an eye. Okay? They're completely fulfilled perfectly. We've been studying a book recently, right, that has prophetic writing about the captivity and destruction of Israel and Judah, okay? What's the book that we study on Wednesday nights? Micah, yeah. We've been studying that book, Micah, and it talks about, really, prophecy of what's going to happen to Israel and Judah because of their sin, okay? And you know what happens to Israel and Judah? They are both destroyed. They're brought into captivity just as the prophets in the Old Testament really prophesied from the from God perfect and complete this morning we're going to look at a few prophecies that were made and then fulfilled really looking at the life of Christ okay so turn with me to actually I'm gonna have a few people turn okay who wants to read okay Emma can you do Isaiah 7 4 Isaiah 7 4 um, Nate can you do Micah 5 2 Micah 5 2 can I have some more people um, who wants to read Adelaide, do you want to read uh, Luke 1, 26 through 27, and then 30 through 31? So Luke 1, 26 through 27, and Luke 1, 30 through 31. So Luke 1, 
verses 26 through 27 and 30 through 31. And then lastly, I need one more person. Mario, are you good to read? Uh, Luke 2, 4 through 7. Luke 2, 4 through 7. So I said Isaiah 7, 4. Yes. Isaiah 7, 4. Nate, you're Micah 2, 5. Or 5, 2. Sorry, 5, 2. Um, Adelaide, you're Luke 1, 26 through 27, and then 30 and 31. And then who else was my other reader? Mario, yes, you were Luke 2, 4 through 7. Okay, so we're going to start with um, Emma here. Emma, nice and loud, Isaiah 7, 4. Listen, listen to the prophecies that are being made here. Okay, Emma. Sorry, I think I gave you the wrong passage. <laughs> uh, here, read. Um, here, read 714. Maybe I just missed the one in front of the four. 714. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and he and shall call his name Emmanuel. That sounds a lot better. That sounds a lot better, right? What's the prophecy being made? What's the prophecy being made? Yes, Adelaide. Jesus' birth. Jesus birth yeah. That, that a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and his name shall be Emmanuel, which means what? God. Means God with us. Yeah. Means God with us. All right, Nate, Micah 5, 2. What's the, uh, read it for us and think about what's the prophecy being made. The prophecy being made. It says, but you, O Bethlehem Ephrathah, from you will come what? From you will come what, Nate? From you come forth what? Keep reading. From, from you will come... Okay. Ruler of Israel. But where is he to come from? Bethlehem. So it's, it's prophesying Jesus' birth in Bethlehem, okay? So we heard two prophecies. We heard the prophecy of Jesus' birth being born of a virgin. His name shall be Emmanuel. We heard the prophecy that he's supposed to be born in Bethlehem. Let's hear it fulfilled. Uh, Luke 1, 26 through 27, and then 30 through 31, Adelaide. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee. Awesome. So it's fulfilled there. The virgin is with child, and she shall call his name Jesus. Uh, Matthew talks about his name shall be Emmanuel, which is God with us. Complete fulfillment. Luke 2, 4 through 7. Mario, nice and loud. 2, 4 through 7? Yeah, uh, chapter 2, 4 through 7. Awesome. Thank you. All right. Prophecy's fulfilled, right? What does it say there in verse 4? <laughs> and Joseph also went up from Galilee. Joseph went up from Galilee from the town of Nazareth, shh, shh, town of Nazareth to Judea to the city of David, which is called what? Bethlehem. Yeah. Prophecy fulfilled completely. But you, O Bethlehem, Ephrata, from you will come a ruler of Israel. Okay. He's being born in Bethlehem, King Jesus is. So it's prom prophecy is made, prophecy is fulfilled. We don't have time to get into some of these others because we are out of time this morning. Um, but next week, we'll finish this off, okay? Um, we'll go into some more prophecies that are made. We'll go into more prophecies that are fulfilled. We're going to look at, shh, 
Here, I'll give you the other points we're going to look at next week, okay? Number two is very similar to last week, okay? One of the defenses for the resurrection of Christ is also a defense for the reliability of the Word of God is transformed lives. Transformed lives. We're going to look at, really, what does the Bible talk about? You know, what does the Word of God do to a person, okay? Now, we're not going to look at examples. Examples we looked at a few weeks ago. You know, the examples of the disciples after they saw the risen Christ. We're going to look at what the Bible says about what, the, what, what, the, what it does to a person's life. We're going to look at uh, passages in Psalms and, and Hebrews. And then lastly, number three is the endurance. And I'm going I'm to go into this a little bit next week. The endurance is kind of like an endurance race, okay? Who who's likes to run long distance? Anyone like to run long distance? Okay. A few long distance runners. Okay. Okay, for a long distance runner, you have to have endurance, right? You have to be able to run long distances, okay? The Word of God has really gone from, I mean, it's been 2,000, 3,000 years of these writings and has endured, I mean, from, I mean, and it's perfect. There is, it's without error. And we're going to look at really people trying to, destroy the Bible, destroy the Word of God, and it's still enduring, okay? People tried to get rid of it from their nation, and it's still endured. It is still living and active, as Hebrews says, um, and it's here forever because God is in control of His Word, okay? So these are the three points we're going to look at uh, to finish up next week. Um, prophecy made, fulfilled, transformed lives, and the endurance. There's I have, actually, I have 10 other points here if you want to come up and look at some of them. Um, but, uh, yeah, we ran out of time this morning, so let me pray. And then you guys are dismissed. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for this morning. Uh, Lord, I thank you for just this time as we got to open up your word and, and just see, Lord, that, that your word is true. That we can trust your word because it is true, because it is reliable. Lord, I pray that as we go out into the world, go out into our um, schools, as we start school here in a couple weeks, Lord, that you give us the courage, um, give us the words to say when people confront us about our faith. Um, may we defend it with gentleness and respect, but may we defend it with truth, Lord, um, that um, when confronted about this, we can uh, defend uh, your word that it is true, that it is completely trustworthy. Um, Lord, we thank you for that. Uh, we thank you that it has endured throughout history, Lord. Uh, even though people have tried to destroy it, um, tried to do away with it, Lord, but you have um, forever kept it and preserved it. Lord, we thank you for that. I thank you for these students. I pray that as we dismiss, Lord, that you keep us safe this week. Um, bring us back safely at the pool uh, on Wednesday night so that we can have a good time of fellowship as we swim around the pool. Um, I pray that you keep the weather away uh, so that we can enjoy that on Wednesday night. We love you, Lord, and in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You guys are dismissed. Thank you.